This is our world now. The world of the electron and the switch, the beauty of the bot. We make use of a service already existing without paying for what could be dirt cheap if it wasn't run by profiteering gluttons, and you call us criminals. We explore, and you call us criminals. We seek after knowledge, and you call us criminals. We exist without skin color, without nationality, without religious bias, and you call us criminals. You build atomic bombs, you wage wars, you murder, cheat, and lie to us and try to make us believe it's for our own good, yet we're the criminals. Yes, I am a criminal. My crime is that of curiosity. My crime is that of judging people by what they say and think, not what they look like. My crime is that of outsmarting you, something that you will never forgive me for. I am a hacker, and this is my manifesto. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all. After all, we're all alike. Welcome to the Vince in the Bay podcast. I'm Vince. What you just heard was a recording of the last few paragraphs from the Hacker's Manifesto, which was authored by The Mentor and originally published in Frack Magazine way back in 1986. I found this recording on my DEF CON 23 badge. DEF CON is an annual hacker conference held in Las Vegas. This year it was at Bally's in Paris and they issued playable vinyl records as badges to attendees this year. And if you're not familiar with DEF CON, each year there's a badge challenge which incorporates the attendees' physical badges into this complex electronic treasure hunt of sorts uh, put on by a dude who goes by the name Lost. And of course, that's spelled in lead speak uh, as 1057. This uh, badge challenge is just one of over 9,000 different activities which surround the nebulous security conference known as DEF CON. There's a ton of other things going on, like capture the flag, hacker jeopardy, scavenger hunts, beard and mustache competitions. There's queer con, which is a LGBT hacker con within the con. Um, there's the infamous wall of sheep. DEF CON is probably the only conference I've ever been to where they offer complimentary Wi-Fi but they encourage you not to use it. Lo and behold, if you sign on, you might find yourself on the wall of sheep, which is basically a projection of all the usernames and login credentials of people accessing the network. Oh, they had uh, ham radio testing, various villages uh, dedicated to things like crypto, privacy, car hacking, lock picking, biohacking, social engineering, and a ton of other stuff. Um, also, there were a bunch of official and unofficial parties. Really, this conference is, is, from what I can tell, just a big excuse for hackers to get together and party. And I had a blast mingling with hackers at a thing called uh, the Toxic Barbecue. Um, also, did some late night drinking and coding with uh, the Whiskey Pirate Party. 
and uh, I even bobbed my head a little t- at a dance party featuring rapper slash hacker YT Cracker. And that kind of rhymes. Of course, there were the actual DEF CON talks as well. DEF CON seemed to be going with a, a film noir theme this year. As far as I was, I was concerned, the overarching theme of the talks appeared to revolve around hacking the Internet of Things. There were several talks on hacking automobiles, including uh, Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek's presentation on their infamous research on re- remotely hacking a Jeep Cherokee. This research that they did, uh, I'm pretty sure got them hired by Uber a few weeks weeks later. Uh, it was just revealed that Miller and Valasek will be doing security research for Uber, which is interesting because Uber doesn't have any cars. Although they're working on a self-driving car, which who isn't working on a self-driving car these, these days? A hacker Sammy Kamkar who is well known to most on the scene as the creator of a notorious MySpace virus. Sammy did a really entertaining talk on his research, uh, hacking wirelessly controlled gates and garages. And he uh, developed this product called own star. That's O W N S T A R. Basically, he figured out how to hack into the OnStar car locking systems. He showed how he was able to rig up this I am me toy. It's like a little, it was, I don't know, it came out years ago, sort of like a, like a Blackberry for kids. And he used this, uh, I am me toy. Uh, he, Jimmy rigged it to hack into garage door openers. There's another car talk on hacking into the Tesla model S. There was a talk on hacking home detention systems, a talk on hacking smart safes, a talk on hacking electronic skateboards. One talk, which I caught uh, was actually a replacement talk for a presentation that was mysteriously and abruptly canceled uh, a few weeks prior to DEF CON. The talk, which was canceled was supposed to be by a researcher who created a tool called ProxyHam. This ProxyHam device was developed with the intent to help activists and journalists and privacy advocates to communicate anonymously online. ProxyHam was basically a Wi-Fi-enabled Raspberry Pi with three antennas, uh, one to connect to a public Wi-Fi network, and the other two to transmit Wi-Fi signals over a 900 megahertz frequency. And thanks to a directional Yagi antenna, ProxyHam would enable a user to connect to a Wi-Fi network up to two miles away. In the weeks leading up to DEF CON, the security researcher canceled his talk and announced that the ProxyHam source code and documentation would never be made public, and the ProxyHam units developed for uh, Las Vegas were destroyed, as well as apparently his entire product line. He just shut down the whole operation. Now, enter Rob Graham and David Maynor from Arata Security and their talk entitled Ham Sandwich. Rob and David 
stepped in to recreate the proxy ham device and they did a presentation on how to use off-the-shelf devices to make a home-brewed version of proxy ham i had the distinct pleasure of catching up with rob graham after his talk at defcon and we chatted about proxy ham and more hello rob Welcome. Hello. Uh, thank you for taking time to uh, to visit with me. My pleasure. We're, we're here, of course, here at DefCon 23. You uh, are here as a speaker. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and what what uh, what brings you here to DefCon 23. Okay. Um, back about 15 years ago, I had a company called Network Ice, and we made a product called Black Ice. It was really popular during that time for security. Um, since then, I've done other well-known projects like sidejacking and most recently MassScan, which is a little scanner that scans the entire internet. Um, but generally, over the years, I've just done lots and lots of different projects. I speak at DEF CON about uh, once every two years or more more recently about once every year. And you're the CEO of Arata Security. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Arata. What does that even mean? Well, errata, an errata is something that when you um, like have a book or something and you um, have misspellings or something, or uh, like a science textbook that has some errors in it, rather than republishing the, republishing the textbook, they'll issue an errata, which means a correction to that sort of stuff. And um, that's what a lot of security is, is like, like patching stuff is, is basically errata for software. Mm-hmm. So we just called it errata security. Your presentation was a last-minute edition, right. and uh, uh, it's, it was entitled Ham Sandwich. One of the talks at DEF CON was called Proxy Ham, which was a really cool idea of setting up a point-to-point link so that you could put one point at like a bar or a Starbucks or some uh, open Wi-Fi, and the other point you could be up on a hill somewhere five miles away. And what you'd do is you'd remotely be connecting to that other end of the link and then through the bars or Starbucks uh, Wi-Fi and then be hacking the net. So uh, you're defacing websites. And when the feds come back after you to try to arrest you, well, they're going to find the IP address of the Starbucks and not you. And if you do the point-to-point link right, then they can't find out where you're coming from. Well, I think the real intention was for people like activists and stuff that actually need to to hide their, their, their existence. Like if you're in a foreign country and you're talking out against the government and the secret police are coming after you. I think that was sort of the, the real genesis of that talk. So uh, I wrote some blog posts on it, and then I decided, well, I'll just send an email to DEF CON and say, you know, if you, if you want, we can do a replacement talk for that because it's pretty straightforward. We've done some recent research in this area, and so we could just do that talk. I was at the talk, and um, you were speculating that uh, it was the FCC that leaned on the gentleman right. to to not only not only did he terminate his talk, but he terminated his product line. Right. Correct. I understood he right. he destroyed all prototypes and just right. completely shut down the operation. Right. So um, the problem was, I think, with with his solution was that he exceeded FCC regulations. So that he was transmitting in 900 megahertz, but with a, uh, a Yagi antenna, uh, Yagi antenna, which um, makes the signal highly directional, which means in the, in the direction of that antenna, it's amplified essentially. So that exceeds the the power regulations of the FCC, it, and it will interfere with equipment. And 
I, I, don't, I don't know how it happened for him, but it happens a lot that they give you, maybe they give you a small fine. It depends upon what their judgment about how badly you've, you've violated things. And, uh, but often it's just a consent decree, which says, we will come down easy on you. You sign this paper. It says you won't ever do it again, which implies like why he just, you know, destroyed his, his product line. Is that, well, because, yeah, he just agreed, yeah, I'm not going to do this ever again. He was using equipment by a company called Ubiquity, U-B-I-Q-I-T-I. Um, and they sell pretty cheap point-to-point solutions. Mm-hmm. And so it appeared that he pulled the box off of one of them and then added maybe an amplifier, or I'm not sure exactly what he did. But there's pictures in the Wired article of that equipment. So we, know we e- immediately recognized the equipment. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we just bought similar units from Ubiquity and set them up and got them working, but without the, uh, the extra antenna. Right? So one that would not exceed the FCC regulations. My first motivation is is we need to stop letting the government kind of like be this be this ogre that we're so afraid that we don't move. If one person cancels a talk, you know, there's lots of other researchers who are doing similar similar stuff. And so as other researchers should just say, hey, if that person's afraid to talk about it or maybe they stepped over a line or whatever, got some the heat on them, I'll step in and, and do that talk. We should never let the government repress us even though that might have been totally legitimate uh, you know doing causing uh, interference in radio is a legitimate concern of the FCC but regardless people we need to step in and and uh, not let anything get censored one of the other talks that I uh, got to, to catch was a discussion about this Wassenaar agreement and it sounds like p- potential legislation that could have uh, a direct effect on you and your your industry. What are your right. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm first of all pissed off at the activists that got just what they wanted. They had human rights activists that said these these evil countries are spying on their citizens with malware. We should have something to stop them. Oh, we got export regulations. Well, we'll use those to stop them. Um, and they got what they wanted. But unfortunately. Most security software, there's no defining line between offensive and defensive. So if you outlaw the offensive software, you also outlaw the defensive software. And that's what happened with Wassenaar. It's not just the software, it's also the researchers and all, the, all our work, what we do. Uh, we can't simply even have a talk across the table with someone who might be a foreigner because then that's called deemed export. We're not a human rights organization that spends half their budget on lawyers and lobbyists. We're not a big corporation that does likewise. So we don't have any seat at any table. And when the United States government, then the uh, Department of Commerce, then started to create their rules to conform to the Wassenaar Agreement, um, there was no security person involved. It was all lawyers and human rights people and activists and everyone else but us. And they were quite shocked that there's actually any other sort of constituency of people that might be upset by these rules. Um, and they had no idea of the massive interest that these proposal would generate. Besides your, your uh, presentation, uh, how has this DEFCON 23 been for you? Uh, it's pretty good. Um, all DEFCONs are really good. It's just one big, long party. Um, every every DEFCON is, is really interesting. Uh, there's lots of good talks. There's these great little villages everywhere, for like from lock picking to soldering things and physical stuff and social engineering and just on and on and on. There's all sorts of great activities. Um, and then the, the night activities and stuff too. So it's a great 
place to come and just enjoy the hacking community. The, the change that I see is the uh, emphasis on the Internet of Things thing. Uh, it's a horrible acronym. Nobody likes it, but no one can come up with any, anything better. But we're getting computers in everything that we own, from like recording equipment to light bulbs to cars to guns. Uh, everything's got a CPU, and they all can be hacked. Uh, with this sort of sea change or shift to the Internet of Things, is this something that uh, is going to affect your work, or is it something that you're adapting to? Yeah, so we've been uh, doing a lot of SDR, which is software-definable radio, which means uh, having a basic radio hardware that receives signal, but from then on you use the software and the computer to do all the various processing, do the, all the interesting signals analysis and and stuff to make things happen. So in the old days, you had to actually write, create your own hardware. So in order to interact with a wireless device, it was quite um, improbable that the average hacker would, could spend $100,000 to create a circuit to, do, to uh, interact with the uh, peculiarities of a device. So they were protected by that. But now we have these software radios, which can be reconfigured by the software, tuned to any frequency, and then do the software analysis of the signal in order to then do the uh, interaction with the device. And someone just publishes source code, and you take a, maybe a, a $400 device, or sometimes even a, a $15 device, and then you're hacking it. And it's, it's so, and that's the price. Where it used to be $400,000, it's now $400 for a, a really advanced device. Yeah. So now we can hack basically all these things of, on the internet that all interact wirelessly. Mm-hmm. Security actually is not hard for these devices with just making just like SSL on them and um, paying a little bit of attention to it. It's actually quite easy. Rob Grand, CEO of Arata Security. If people want to find you on the internet, how would they do that? Uh, blog.eratasec.com, E-R-R-A-T-A-S-E-C.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate Certainly. it. It's been fun. Dash twenty six dash eighteen dash ten dash fourteen dash twenty one dash thirteen dash zero two dash eleven dash twenty two dash twenty three dash twenty four dash eleven dash zero one dash zero seven dash zero two dash eleven dash nineteen dash zero six dash two June eighteenth two thousand twenty four dash thirteen dash twelve dash twenty six dash zero nine dash eighteen dash thirteen dash sixteen dash twenty four dash fourteen dash twelve dash eighteen dash zero five. Wow, there it is. Um, that was another recording on my badge slash record that I got at DEF CON. Um, it appears to be a young girl reciting a number station with a calendar date near the end. June 18th, 2024. Uh, this is, uh, another part of the badge challenge that I had no clue how to decipher, but, uh, thought it was kind of cool. Another interesting talk at DEF CON 23 was a presentation by, Dennis Maldonado on bypassing access control systems. These are the systems which typically protect everything from residential communities to commercial office spaces. And in this talk, Dennis demonstrates how and where these access control systems are typically used and showed some tricks which can bypass Uh, a lot of these systems. His talk touched on attack methods of all types, including physical attacks, RFID, wireless, telephony, network attacks, and others. I caught up with Dennis to discuss his talk and learn a little bit more about him and his research. 
I have Dennis Maldonado on the line. He is a security researcher out of Houston, and he was a first-time presenter at DEF CON 23. Welcome, Dennis. Hey, Vince. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So you are out of Houston. What? Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, uh, I'm here based in Houston. I went here. I went to school here, and you know, never really left the city since then. It's a pretty, pretty cool place to be, in my opinion. Currently, I, I'm just I work as a security consultant, and, and uh, I just do a bunch of security research on my own time. I I go to a lot of security conferences, and I'm just I like to be active in the communities. Have you attended DefCon in the past? Yeah, my first DefCon I went to was DefCon. 22 last year, uh, and that was pretty fun. I, I, I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of fun there. I really enjoyed it. So I decided, you know, I'm going to start going to DefCon every single year I can. This one, Def 23, was my second DefCon and my first time speaking. That's pretty cool. So you went last year and you and you were just kind of like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna present." Is that how that happened, or how did this this uh, this talk come about this year? I, I mean, I guess it was a little bit of that. You know, I saw a few talks at DEF CON last year, and I really want to do that. I really want to kind of give back to the community and, then, of course, establish a name for myself. So I decided, you know, I should probably start working on some content. You know, one of the hardest things of figuring out what to present about is finding a topic that no one has already done, right, or maybe taking a topic and spinning it a different way. Well, one thing I, I just that always interests me is the physical aspect of security, especially when you're blend electronic. One thing that everyone interacts with is the access control boxes that, that people see in front of apartments and office buildings. I don't recall ever seeing a talk at that time, so I decided, hmm, let's do some research on that. You know, I live in an apartment. Uh, my apartment has one. And I can I can look at it and see what I can do with it. Previously, before you you went attended DefCon and before this you decided to do this talk. Was there ever a thought in your mind every time you went into your apartment complex? Like, I wonder if I can hack into this thing. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's one thing that I do a lot. I, whenever I see some sort of system or electronic device, I, I'm always curious on, you know, what can I do to make this do something different? You, you know, when, you're, when I'm driving and I see the traffic signal boxes that control the traffic lights, I'm wondering, okay, how can I break into that, and what can I do with it? Of course, I don't really do it. I'm just generally curious. So the right. same thing with apartments. I drive by the access control box, and I'm wondering, how can anyone get in here without knowing the, the actual access codes? After seeing your talk, I went to an, a friend's apartment complex, and I may or may have not tried to unlock the outside gate using the technique you demonstrated at DEF CON, and it may or may not have worked perfectly. <laughs> well, that's great. My intention wasn't to start to have people start breaking into complexes or anything like that, but my main intention was when people can go home, most people have interacted or do interact with these things on a daily basis. They can go, you know, drive to their apartment, see one of those controllers, one of those access boxes, and remember my talk and remember what I've talked about. And so, like I said, not for the purpose of hacking into it, but now people can start thinking of the issues that these devices have and start maybe hopefully figuring out ways to make them more secure. The title of your talk is, Are We Really Safe? Bypassing Access Control Systems. Give us a brief rundown of what, what was contained in that talk. What I do is I, I talk about access control systems 
uh, physical access control systems in the sense of what you see outside of apartments, office buildings, commercial buildings, you know, just what you see everywhere. You walk downtown in any city, you'll see a bunch of them. And so those are used to protect some physical location, right? To protect someone's home or protect the shared office space or protect an entire apartment complex. I talk about what they are, how they're typically set up, and then the security issues with them. And in this talk, I talk about one specific vendor. I'm not trying to crackle over that vendor, but it's just time for it. But I talk about the issues that they had and how, you know, you can bypass the security controls for that specific device. The intention was not to say this vendor is bad, but to you know, bring to light all the issues that maybe other vendors could also have. In your talk, you found these these control boxes in all kinds of odd places. In one case, a bathroom. Tell me about that. Okay, so what I was able to find is this specific building. There's a public restroom so that people can just use the restroom. Well, when I was using the restroom, I found a little you know, locked box kind of on on the ceiling, kind of connected close to the ceiling. And so I'm naturally wondering, okay, what's in there? There's wires coming in and out of it. And sometimes you can hear it click. Turns out that was already opened. I guess maybe someone forgot to close it. It turns out to be an access control uh, controller for that, that building's physical access control system. Um, and so from what you can see in the talk, since I have physical access to that controller, I pretty much now have full access to how the access control system works in that building. So I can open doors from the bathroom or, you know, connect a computer to it and do it, you know, a little more nefarious things. The doors are opening from the bathroom. Oh my God. (laughs) That's crazy. Someone made the joke, uh, talk about shitty security. What, what do you think accounts for that? The people that install these things just don't care or they just, they just find a place that they think is suitable or is, is in a, some sort of strategic location for them to access? Like, why would somebody decide to throw uh, something like that in a bathroom? I don't really know. I mean, it, it could be a bunch of things. Maybe perhaps just the bathroom was a central location because you have a lot of small devices like RFID readers and stuff that are go- connecting back to that controller. So maybe it was physically centered to everything where it was easy to connect to. And I don't think people don't care, but you know, when someone is paying the lowest bid contract, they're contracted to install this thing, but I guess it's not their job to make sure it's installed correctly and safely, I guess, because you know, one, one of the biggest common problems is when contractors install these systems, they don't change the default password. So anyone can get in using the default password. Do you think they're banking on the fact that somebody like you isn't going to come along? The, pub, the public is just going to be kind of not, not even going to think about something like that? Probably a lot of that because on some, you know, some other vendors that have, you know, done a little research on, there are very obvious vulnerabilities that someone like me, you know, an attacker would think about, but maybe not, you know, some random schmo at Walmart would think about. But in my eyes, it's very obvious. If the company is making this product, they shouldn't have allowed uh, unauthenticated telephone access to the device. You also discovered software that can drive these uh, controllers. They're networked, in some, and in some cases, they're, they're networked through the Internet, so someone can remote control the opening and closing doors from another place. Yeah, these, these uh, controllers can be controlled and configured through software. That way, 
in the apartment example, when someone moves in, the manager can give them credentials to use the to open the gate. Using the software helps me kind of figure out how the the software communicates with the controller, and I can learn that to write a script to do it myself. So now my Python script can communicate with the controller, and I can you know send open door commands from my Linux machine instead of having to use their software. Right on. What do you want people to take away from this talk? Uh, so like I mentioned earlier, my intention was to have people start thinking about the security issues that these access control systems have. So when they go home uh, and, you know, they enter the gate to their apartment or badge into their shared office space, they can think maybe, you know, maybe this this access control system, maybe it's not protecting me as much as I feel like it's protecting me. Just be aware of these. Don't depend too much on them because in my talk, if you're using the same systems that I talked about, you can pretty much bet your lucky stars you're not as protected as you would want to be. In your talk, you mentioned something about using direct serial connections. Okay, yes. So so as far as, you know, kind of remediating some of these vulnerabilities, well, some of these access control systems, they're connected to a network, whether it's Internet or a local network. That way, managers or whoever's in charge of the system can configure it and control it from their computers or laptops or whatever. One of my recommendations was don't do that. Have a direct connection to the controller itself. Don't put it on a network. That way, if it's a direct connection from just one computer to the controller, it'd obviously be much harder for the attacker to get into that system. They'd either have to have physical access to the computer or hack the computer itself if it's on the Internet, which hopefully it's not. Speaking of on the Internet... Dennis's talk from DEF CON 23 is already on the internet. It's on YouTube if you want to check it out. I thought it was kind of cool that uh, during the middle of your talk, some goons just <laughs> mysteriously walked up on stage and then hazed you by g- giving you a shot of, what was it, JD? Uh Jack Daniels, yes. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, you know, they showed me Jack Daniels. I'm like, is that all you got, really? <laughs> Some people aren't really fond of that, but I do want to kind of break the secret that they didn't just randomly show up and make me take a drink. They actually politely asked me ahead of time if I would like to be interrupted at a random time during my talk to get a drink. And it is kind of, you know, a quote-unquote tradition for first-time speakers to take a shot on stage. So I happily uh, agreed to that. I had no problem with that. And sure enough, while I'm giving the talk, I completely forgot that was supposed to happen. And I was interrupted and they made me take a drink. I did it. I kept it down and I continued talking. It was great. So what's what's next for you? What Do you have any uh, future projects you're looking at or what, what do you want to do next? I want to do exactly what I've been, what I've been doing, you know, just stay active in the community, keep doing awesome research, keep, you know, working, you know, my awesome job, the security consultant, uh, I love it so far. This, the research that I talked about is still ongoing. I want to hopefully be able to research other vendors, so, I, you know, kind of level the playing field, I guess, and just overall do more research on physical and electronic systems in general, uh, just so I can learn, share my knowledge with the world, and hopefully make the world a safer place. I feel safer already. <laughs> and if... Someone out there wants to uh, get in touch with you or find your work. Where can they find you on the internet? Twitter is, pro- you know, probably the easiest way. If they 
Dennis Meld, D-E-N-N-I-S-M-A-L-D. Oh, you know what? There's one other thing I wanted to ask you real quick. You posted yeah. on, tw- speaking of Twitter, you posted on Twitter, um, it was, what was it? Um, Elevator stuff? Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a blue elevator. It was a small blue telephone that yeah. that you were you were going to use. You were suggesting it be used to hijack elevator phones. Tell me about that real okay. quick. So I posted on Twitter a tiny little blue landline phone. You can get on Amazon or eBay. It's literally just a little blue device with a numpad on it and can connect to your classic phone jack. And so I taught, I mentioned that it's good for elevator phone hijacking. Well, what's that? So by you know fire code elevators all elevators have to have a phone line attached to them so that they can, it can be used to call the fire department or call maintenance whenever something goes wrong with the elevator and some of these phones that are in the elevator sometimes you can get access to them by just opening a door or perhaps maybe picking a lock and they have the, of course the classic phone jack in them so if for some reason you want to hack the elevator and there's a bunch of reasons why you want to do that maybe as an actual engagement for a company uh, if you want to hack the elevator, uh, not really hacking the elevator, but hacking the elevator phone, you can borrow that phone line, disconnect it from what it's connected to, plug it into this little blue phone that you bought off of Amazon, call uh, 1-800-444-4444, and what that does is it, when it, it auto-answers and tells you what number you're calling from. So once you know what number you're calling from, just connect the phone line back to the normal elevator phone and be on your way. What you can do later now is call that call, phone. Yeah, call that phone. Call the elevator phone, and usually what they'll do is the elevator will automatically answer by default. Oh my uh, god! And yes, from there now in the in the case of corporate es- corporate espionage, lots of awesome private conversations happen in the in the elevator. Mm-hmm. So because it auto answered, and a lot of times it's actually not you know it doesn't ring or anything. Now you're silently listening to all the conversations that are happening in the elevator. Another thing, if you want to be more nefarious about it or just mean, uh, you can try to program the elevator phone. The elevator phones most of the time can be programmed remotely. And like I mentioned earlier, default passwords are almost never changed. So you can try to figure out how to program it, put in the default password if it asks for it, and then change the message it it provides to uh, people stuck in the elevator or even the message it provides to 911, whatever it calls, you can even change the number it calls. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's, a, there's lots of cool things. And, and it's not just restricted to elevators. There's other things. ATMs have phone lines. So borrow the phone line real quick, find a number for it, and see what you can do with that. You know, access control boxes, like in my research, same thing, phone lines. Find the phone number. Maybe you can control the, the, the access control box from your phone from anywhere in the world. The trolling opportunities are endless. <laughs> Oh man, I'd be so tempted to just, you know, find some corporate elevator and just be like, this is God. What you're doing is wrong. You will all burn in hell for the business you are doing. You're destroying my planet. And as a side note, sometimes you don't even need that little blue phone device because if you open the door where the phone should be, maintenance might have actually written the phone number on the inside of the door or something. Dude, that's awesome. Dennis Maldonado, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you speak at DEF CON next year, maybe. Thank you.
Okay, so those tones are also from my badge slash record that I got at DEF CON. The tones correspond to telephone touch keys, and like the other two recordings, I have no clue what the message is about, but uh, it doesn't matter. I also saw a lot of my internet friends and met a few for the first time in person. One of those folks was a hacker who goes by the name of Flanville. I've known Flanville for a few a few years now, and he used to call into my old internet radio show, and it was it was great to meet him in real life. Uh, Flanville is a former activist who associated online with Anonymous for several years, and he's since moved on to doing independent security research. And earlier, earlier this year, Flanville was a speaker at another security conference in New York City known as Suits and Spooks. So I caught up with Flanville at DEF CON, and we discussed uh, Suits and Spooks and a bunch of other stuff. We're here at DEF CON 23, and I'm joined now by Flanville. Uh, he goes by the moniker Flanville. It's spelled L-F-L-A-N. V-E-L. What the hell does that mean? Where'd you get that name? Um, it's actually supposed to be split into two words, but if you can understand what flan means and vel means, then you should probably talk to me. Flan but is, is a, uh, a Mexican dessert. But it, that's not what it means. It's kind of a secret meaning between a group of friends. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What's, what's, what's your background? You're, you're, you're a young guy. Um, 19. But my background came from whenever I was younger, a teen. I kind of picked up on the anonymous thing around 2010 during like the odd payback where there was 13,000 people in IRC and everyone on the internet was kind of like, maybe we should all go join this and see why there's 13,000 people and just started making friends there. What was it about? Was there anything specific about the idea that that attracted you to anonymous um that you could do it anonymously the actual real meaning that you weren't going to take credit for any of it it was just doing it for a better cause not doing it to be famous um instead of people who did things directly out of spite they were actually political causes like in tunisia helping them uh, uncensor a country or a whole region at that time was a big thing. What was the first operation that you uh, were involved in? Um, I guess you could say like the PayPal, uh, MasterCard, you got involved there. Not uh, really. was that, that was op payback? Yeah. Okay. Not as much doing things, but helping people out with setting stuff up online. Because at that time I knew a, a lot about the computer stuff. I just didn't know people were using it for those causes. So I just kind of joined in like, hey, I know all about this stuff, but here's how you should do it a little bit better. And those were those were um, more or less just coordinated DDoS attacks? Yeah, mostly. Using the, uh, what, the, the, the LOIC? Yeah, Low Orbit Ion Cannon. Low Orbit Ion Cannon. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm not a security researcher, so you could probably tell me if I'm wrong or not. But it seems to me that a corporation of that size would have enough uh, 
enough defensive infrastructure to repel 2,000 kids firing packets. That's true, but what people don't understand was some of those people weren't just individuals. They had other people's computers. Right. Um, not necessarily volunteering for that cause. <laughs> right. A botnet yes. took it down. For sure. And so essentially those PayPal 14 kids were charged for something that they really didn't do. They were made to look a certain way for they were, acting out. Yes. Yeah, they were they were they were just making a, an example of them. Yeah, they picked out a certain group and made them an example. Right. And they actually picked out two groups, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, there was then again the, the the payback 13. Is there one uh, instance in particular that just sealed the deal for you to walk away? The last thing I did before I walked away was the whole operation roll red roll with KY. And you're of course referencing uh, the uh, reaction, the protests and activism that were a reaction to the Steubenville, Ohio situation. Yeah. Steubenville, Ohio had a rape case and KY kind of claimed that he blew the story, which it had already been kind of in the public. You're talking about KY Anonymous, right? Yes. Who we've now know is Derek Lossetter? Lossetter. Something like that, yeah. And the funny, thing, the funny thing is about Steubenville, I'm only about an hour and a half away from that. I was very close to it, knew a lot of people who went. He never showed up for a protest. He never really organized one either, but he got all the fame to it. I actually went to most of them. And didn't say a thing about it. <laughs> this is the operation that you decided to break away, but you were you were actually boots on the ground protesting. Uh, you were a what do they call it? Uh, 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 everything has fag at the end, and those are uh, ground fags. Is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah. And I did. A You're not a fag fag, are you? No. Okay. No judgments. I'm no. from the Bay, yeah. so. You, you Understandable. <laughs> yeah, you can you can be honest. Yeah, I did a few a few recordings. Although my gaydar is not going off on you, so no. yeah. But yeah, I did a few recordings from up there. Posted them online. They're still up there. I kind of felt like that uh, that operation represented a big sea change in Anonymous. You had an influx of a bunch of new people. Yes, and a lot of the people, the old folks that were already around kind of uh had some uh, a certain amount of contempt for and these a, for these new the new blood and a lot of people left because a lot of arrests happened in 2012 2011 so you saw people instead of talking in larger groups they kind of consolidated themselves so you didn't see them talking to everyone who was new so it really created a divide on what the idea was supposed to be you you got uh, disenfranchised with anonymous um and you, you stopped participating what did you turn to next what 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 were you occupying yourself with after that i started doing research into actual computer security stuff i stopped the whole political side and just started trying to make it a career and then um lately i've been doing the tour stuff doing research on how tour works um de-anonymizing it crawling it 
uh, one of the last projects I did, which Brian Krebs wrote up about, was a tour crawler, which if you ran a guard, uh, basically an entry node, you could get the onion addresses to where everyone was going. So you could get a fresh list of onions, and then you could crawl those if you created a web crawler. Describe to me uh, what a web, web crawler is. Basically, once you find the site, it will pull down all the pages, and then you can go through and see, oh, this site's a carding forum. Oh, I should see who's all been breached lately, and that was one of the things I turned into Brian. Someone posted a German lenders, German bank lender. They had passports, everything just wide open, and they posted it online for sale. And I found it first, and I set on it because I wanted to see if it was the full breach or if they were going to be posting more stuff to the site. And then finally I contacted the company and they told the German police and I had to explain to the German police, I'm not the one behind this. I just simply found it. And this is where it was at. I guess they're probably still investigating that. Are you keeping up with this, uh, Wassenaar agreement situation? What are your thoughts on that? Um, you should be able to sell to whoever you want whatever government you want, whatever bug you want. If they have a budget and they can afford it and you want to sell it, why shouldn't you be able to sell it? Mm -hmm. Because it's only software. Trying to make it an arm is a lot different than selling a piece of software. Essentially, they, they could make basic security research, like stuff you do, illegal. illegal. Yes. And, and that's going to take a lot of good people with the right intentions and ethics, if you will, uh, that's going to take them out of play. It's going to put them on the bad side. Yeah. And another thing that people kind of touch on is they think bugs are sold by the tens of thousands. They're really not. Just think, I mean, the price, if you have like hacking team, how many bugs would you need if you're just hacking team? You're not going to need that many because how many people are you going to have to pop? Like there's only 365 days out of a year. How many operations is a government going to have to execute on that day? Suits and spooks. Um, There was a lot of, I guess, controversy surrounding that conference. It was a a security conference in uh, that was held in New York city a couple months ago. And um, they had invited uh, a former Anon uh, who went by Anonymous Sabu, who we now know as Hector Xavier Monsegur, um, and you en- eventually ended up being a presenter at that conference. Um, could you uh, tell me a little bit about that story? So Sabu from 2010, we can say, to 2011 was part of LOLSEC, and his group, everyone probably should know, hacked HB Gary, Sony, that whole list. And at some point, he was identified by several people online, which probably, if it wasn't the FBI first, gave the FBI enough information to go, and he was raided. And he was given either the opportunity to help out and keep doing what he was doing or face charges of probably 150 years or whatever it was, an ungodly amount of time to spend in prison for what he did. 
still. So he decided he was going to help out. He was going to continue what he was doing. And it's on the gray line of was it entrapment? Because he continued doing what he was doing with the knowledge that he was being watched. I don't consider that entrapment legally, but I do consider that back to ethically not the best thing you could have done. Would I have wanted to fight a 150-year charge? Probably not. So it's hard to say what anyone would do in that situation, but a lot of the people who actually weren't around at that time but are now still hate Sabu because he's known as the snitch of the group. When it wasn't just him, there were many more CIs giving up information. There were much more people telling the FBI what had happened in other organizations. So Sabu was invited to speak and tell his side of the whole thing. And a lot of the anonymous people were up in arms saying, oh, he's going to tell his side and not the other. And Jeffrey Carr, the organizer of the event, said on Twitter and a few other platforms that if anyone else wants to tell their side, message me and we can set up uh, a talk for you at the same time, same place. And so I messaged Jeff wanting to take up on this, because I'm already removed from the group. I just want to set the old story straight finally. Now that Hector can finally speak, why not have two people who can show their face go and give both sides? So Jeff set that up, and it was me and another person went and gave the talk, giving our side. Sabu gave his, and at the end, we did sat down and talk. I do talk to Hector. We do agree on things. We do disagree on things still. But all in all, it was a very good conversation to have with him. And both sides came clean on that it's not a black and white situation. There are many different factors that people don't understand. And real life was playing a larger part than just the online drama. We're we're here at DefCon 23, Vegas. Um, is this your first DefCon? Second. Second. I came last year. Okay. Um, how are you enjoying it so far? I love it. Love seeing all the friends and meeting new people with similar ideals, or if not similar, you can still talk about something that you both know about or yeah. have passion about. It's like you're you're amongst your own tribe yeah. in a way. I think the con is more the people instead of going Connecting, and seeing, making yeah, connections. Make, yeah. the, make the connections while you're here because doing it with the people is a lot better than doing it afterward. So you spoke at, 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 at one conference already. Would, would, are you interested in continuing to do presentations? Do you see yourself presenting at DEF CON someday? I plan to speak at a few other ones, but hopefully DEF CON maybe next year if I have something to present. If you could give advice to someone out there listening to this who's thinking about getting into hacking because they think it's cool and sexy, but they're young and they're impressionable, what piece of advice do you, would you give to that person? Find something you really love, focus on it, learn it. If you don't have to go to college for it, don't. Do it and learn by yourself. There's enough people, there's enough resources all around the world now to where you can learn whatever you want for free, basically, with a little bit of money here and there for whatever you need to do the project. Um, 
And if you feel passionate about something, talk about it, talk to others about it, and just do it. Don't care what other people think about it. If you like it, do it. I think that's great advice. Cool. Thank you, Flanville. I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me here at DEF CON, and I hope to see you again next year. All right. Thank you. Earlier, I mentioned that there was a talk at DEF CON on hacking electric skateboards, and it turns out the two gentlemen who presented that talk are based right here in the Bay Area. I'm talking about Mike Ryan and Rich O'Healy. I wasn't able to catch them in Vegas, but got a chance to talk with Mike and Rich O recently to learn about their research. I am now joined by Mike Ryan and Rich O'Healy, who uh, had a talk at DEF CON 23 this year entitled Hacking Electric Skateboards, Vehicle Research for Mortals. Mike is here with me in studio. We have Richo on the line. Welcome, Mike and Richo. Hey, thanks for having hey, us. Hey, thanks for having us. It's great to have you here. And I, I really appreciate that you uh, put together a talk for us mortals to figure out how these electronic skateboards work. Before we get into your talk, I'd like to learn a little bit about the background of both of you. Uh, let's start with Mike first. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So for a few years, uh, I was just a regular software engineer. Then I made the switch a few years ago to doing security full-time as a consultant with ISEC Partners. Recently, I joined eBay, and I lead the red team there. So security's been my full-time job for around three years now. What does that mean, the red team? The red team is a team of internal attackers. We simulate real bad guys on our internal network. We find the vulnerabilities, patch them up before the real bad guys have a chance to. Cool. And Richo, what's what's your background? Uh, so I grew up in a tiny beach town uh, in southeastern Australia where there was uh, not a great deal to do other than surf and hack computers. So I kind of did that until I was 17, uh, went up moving to a city to take a gig that was mostly reverse engineering.net. Uh, and then from there, kind of like bounced around for a little while. And these days I work on security engineering in a payments company called Stripe. And you're both now based in the Bay Area? That's right. And how did you guys uh, come together How do you, and, and decide to do research together? Uh, I think I saw him rip off his shirt at ShmooCon, and I pointed at him, and I said, I want to do research with you. True fact. Pictures are, didn't happen. I do have a photo I can send you. Uh, oh, perfect, actually... perfect. Are you guys skaters? Do you guys have a background as being skateboarders? So I grew up in Southern California. Skateboarding is kind of part of the culture down there. So up into my teens, I was a skateboarder and a longboarder. And I kind of set it aside uh, when I grew into an adult. How about you, Richo? I had like the exact opposite experience. Uh, I like never skated growing up at all. Uh, I tried it once and like promptly like nearly broke my tailbone. And so I saw this um, Kickstarter for an electric skateboard and thought like, that's kind of cool, uh, and wound up buying one just after the, the Kickstarter ends. Uh, and so I'd never actually ridden a skateboard before I before I got my electric one. You brought uh, your research on this electronic skateboard manufactured by Boosted. They're called Boosted Boards, and you did a presentation at DefCon. First of all, have either of you been to DefCon before and presented? We were both first time uh, presenters, but we've both been to DefCon for years before this. So attendees in the past, first-time presenters. Yeah. Did they uh, come on stage and make you guys take a shot? They did come on stage and have us take a shot. They brought out a bottle of Jack Daniels, which is foul, and we didn't want to drink that. So we were prepared for this eventuality. I reached into my bag, brought out a bottle of Glenlivet, 
put it on the on uh, one of the skateboards and we uh we did, we shot some Glenn Livin up, up on stage. Excellent. Yeah, apparently that's a tradition and uh that's that's cool that you tried to one up them or or you brought your 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 drink of choice. <laughs> Actually, they grabbed the bottle and put it into one of their bags <laughs> before pouring it to us. All right, so let's get to your talk and what boosted boards are and how they work. It's basically like a a good skateboard is kind of manufactured out of component, you know, like serious skaters will use. Uh, that's being augmented with uh, some very, very large lithium-based batteries, some speed controllers, and the model that we were testing on has two electric motors attached to the back wheels. And so the gist is that you basically stand on the board, hold the remote, which is tethered to the board with Bluetooth, roll the, roll the thumb wheel forward, and the thing rolls underneath you. To the tune of which around really cool 22 miles per hour. Um, so the thing's got some boogie. And kind of the gist of our, our research and our talk was that there, there are implementation flaws in the, the communication mechanism between the, the remote and the board uh, that we were able to exploit to, to gain control of a board that we were physically near to. You know, what can a hacker do with these vulnerabilities and exploits? Like, how can they manipulate these boards? The most obvious thing that you can do is that you can control the motors directly. So basically, once, once we've interfered with the connection between the uh, legitimate uh, remote in the board, we can connect and, and basically say like, hey, I'm a remote, do stuff. And, and so the thing that we uh, typically demonstrate when we're showing off the exploit is simply that we can grab control of the connection and slam the motors into full reverse, uh, which is fairly unpleasant if you happen to be on the board at the time. You're almost um, guaranteed, the rider's almost guaranteed to fall flat on their face. Ouch. But, but so kind of in addition to that, you know, the, the boosted board is kind of interesting because they, they build so much infrastructure around it. So, for example, like all, all of the functionality that the smartphone app has, uh, we, we can also mimic by just pretending to be a smartphone when we grab the connection. So uh, we can do a number of actions. Probably the most interesting is that it's possible to send firmware updates to the, to the board. So you could, in theory, have a persistent exploit that lives on the board. When you were performing your research, um, what type of, of environment were you doing it in? Did you just get a board and then uh, write it yourself, or did you pick a uh, a volunteer? How, how did you, how did that first come about? Yeah, I mean, so like the thing that first brought us to actually like kind of kind of pick up the research and actually make a start on it um, was there this like one intersection in Melbourne, Australia that is just extremely RF noisy. Uh, and so on more than one occasion, while skating past, the remote and my board like lost their connection, uh, which caused it to suddenly accelerating underneath me, which threw me off the board and made me look very foolish in front of a large group of tourists. And so, you know, after kind of this happened to me the second time, I both got extremely angry and picked myself up the road and kind of started to wonder whether or not we could kind of intentionally do this. So th- um, this is the point where, where Richo comes to me and says, hey, Mike, you know a thing or two about Bluetooth. Can we Can we just jam the connection? And I responded with... No, uh, Richo asserts that I said it was impossible. I don't think I ever said that, but I, it is. It turns out pretty hard to do. But so that that kind of like you know, got us got us running down this track uh, of both uh, reverse engineering kind of the, the board's protocol as well as trying to work out what kind of work it would take for us to interfere with the connection enough that we could uh, actually like usurp control of it. Um, in terms of the testing environment, we wound up trying in a bunch of places for a variety of reasons, both like manpower and like desire to not get hurt. Uh, the vast majority of testing that we did was just the board upside down on a table, which kind of meant that when we grabbed control of the motors, you know, the, the board didn't slam into anything as well as like it, it kind of freed both of us up to be to be working on it. But at various points, we, we've kind of tried the exploit in a, a lot of places, kind of like alleyways, uh, the, the car park of like a football field, uh, at one point the roof of a hotel in Vegas. You know, we, we wound up dragging ourselves into a, a bunch of ridiculous situations in the name of testing. Did you guys 
ever drive it around the floor at Bally's or Paris? Maybe. <laughs> we we may have also ridden it down airplane jetways and some other questionable places. That may or may have not been a really cool thing to see happen. So did you guys approach Boosted about your research? So we, we originally got in touch with uh, Boosted before we presented the first iteration of our research uh, at a conference in New Zealand called KiwiCon last year. And we, we sort of like spoke to them on and off. It, at various points, kind of like both parties made missteps. Uh, it was pretty clear that they'd never dealt with security researchers before. But so, yeah, we, we originally reached out just before KiwiCon uh, and then have been in touch with them kind of on and off uh, all the way like leading up to DEF CON. They actually, after we demonstrated our first vulnerability, they did very kindly provide us with a, a test board so we could do some more invasive testing as well. So we wanted to uh, thank them for, for being uh, very generous with that. Yeah, and these boards are pretty pricey. They're like a thousand bucks. Yeah, that's the that's for the weak, crappy model. Yeah, there's three different versions, right? And what are the what are the differences between the three? Well, two of the versions aren't worth purchasing, and then the fastest version is fifteen hundred dollars. That's the Ultra Plus model, I think it's called. Something like that. Yeah. So what was so at DefCon? How was your talk received? Like, what was the reaction? <laughs> Well, unfortunately, we, we should have seen this one coming, but DEF CON is a very hostile wireless environment. So the demonstrations that we had intended to do didn't go off as planned. Uh, that being said, people did seem to be pretty pleased when we were able to turn over the board and show that we could make the wheels spin and cause some cause some trouble. Uh, it's worth noting that we were going on right after uh, Charlie Miller doing Jeep hacking. So that was a pretty tough act to follow. Yeah, no doubt. Speaking of that, it seemed like to me like one of the overarching themes of this con was hacking the Internet of Things. In the industry, we call this junk hacking because it's just hacking junk that you've got lying around. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting distinctions uh, that, that is a carryover from kind of long before this Internet of Things era is that, uh, you know, in the past, like if you look at the full disclosure mailing list and you see a lot of the bugs that people are copying up, uh, it, it's very much like, I'm aware of a bug class, and I will just like keep looking at software until I find something vulnerable to this bug class, uh, which is why you see like so many like SQL injection in the WordPress plugin. And unfortunately, I mean those those bugs are of little to no interest if you have like a target that you want to earn. There, there's like for whatever reason, there's like this thing, and I want to hack it, right? The same thing kind of applies to the Internet of Things in that, like, if I buy 150, like, random appliances that use Bluetooth, 149 of them will almost certainly, like, screw something up that, that makes their device vulnerable to, you know, some manner of, like, injection or, or compromise. The other side of this is that a lot of this Internet of Things hacking has serious consequences. Uh, if you can hack a smart lock on somebody's front door, you can get into their house. If you can hack somebody's Jeep or their electric skateboard, you can physically harm them. There's a lot of interest in this area because the, the stakes are a lot higher than just knocking over somebody's blog. Well, you've got a different set of challenges with these objects. Uh, for instance, when we did report this vulnerability to Boosted, one of the suggested fixes that we had, they said they probably couldn't implement it without recalling all of the controllers and issuing new controllers to customers. And in other cases, some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff is like install and forget. So if you just install something and you don't necessarily have a Bluetooth app or maybe doesn't even have a firmware update mechanism because it's so cheap, you could have these bugs that are essentially unfixable. I've been doing Bluetooth research before Internet of Things was coined a term. Richo's interest in it is largely because this is the vehicle he rides to work every single day. He commutes on this. Oh, so Richo, are you commuting on the hills of San Francisco with this thing? 
Yeah, definitely. Does it have the torque to go to go up hills? Yeah, I mean, so there's a couple of hills that won't go up, but they're steep. I'm pretty lucky in that my, my actual daily commute is pretty flat. I live in Soma and my office is in the Mission. Um, it's astonishingly powerful, which, I mean, was kind of one of the interesting things was that, like, once we got control of the board remotely and realized that we could, like, immediately slam the thing at full reverse, we were kind of stunned by, by how quickly the thing could get going. One of the tests that we did... We were kind of like one person short from like our, our desired setup. And as a consequence, we end up slamming my board full noise into the concrete uh, half a dozen times, which probably didn't do it a whole bunch of good. We, uh, we did actually attack some other electric skateboards as well. So we looked at Yoon, I don't know how to pronounce the company's name, Yoon EEC. I think it's Unique. Un- unique, hey, there you go. So we looked at a board made by a Chinese company called Unique called the Ego, which is more or less a carbon copy of Boosted without all the fun and another board called Evolve, made by an Australian company. We're primarily focused on Boosted, and we got our most promising results from their board. Uh, Their board is definitely the most sophisticated of the bunch that we looked at. Ultimately, it's by far the nicest product that we looked at. I mean, one of the things that was kind of interesting about both like our research specifically and kind of the greater ecosystem is that in many ways, like how full-featured Boosted was, was ultimately its kind of downfall in that you know, like features turn out to be a double-edged sword and, you know, how complete the thing was kind of gave us all of this attack surface for kind of poking at it. Whereas in contrast, the Evolve board has a protocol so simple that there is actually not like a great deal for us to actually do to it. You know, it, it didn't even have bi-directional communication. And, and as a consequence, like there was no way that we could, for example, like fiddle with the remote because the remote didn't even know how to receive data. The implications of this as far as like make it dead simple and potentially build something unpatchable because it doesn't know how to receive new firmware versus like build a firmware update mechanism and have someone potentially abuse that is still a really open question. And one of the reasons that manufacturers are struggling so hard because it's a little bit like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Have you gotten any reaction from skaters or I, I guess skater, like traditional skateboarders aren't even the demographic for this product, right? It's, it's, what is it mostly? I'm imagining mostly like, 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 like yuppies who are into extreme sports or, or, Filthy rich trust fund beach bums who want to cruise around the boardwalk. What's what's the main demographic, and have you gotten any blowback from those folks? So we did meet one of the co-founders of Boosted. His name is escaping me right now, but he's a longtime longboarder. And from my speaking to him, it seems like he was going for the thrill of longboarding, you know, making these huge carves on hills, but being able to do that on flat ground. So that's part of their target market. The, the other thing that uh, we suspect might be going on here is that these companies are using this as a proving ground for larger, more practical electric vehicles like electric bicycles, because a lot of the technology involved is very similar. DEFCON 23 this year. What did, what did you think of the con uh, of DEFCON 23 this year uh, outside of your, your talk? Yeah, I mean, the, the sheer number of people was incredibly overwhelming. I, I honestly didn't see that much of the con this year. This was also their first year at a new venue, Bally's, so there were some growing pains involved there. Um, as far as the con goes, I didn't actually see any other talks. What did you most want attendees to take away from your talk? You know, once you involve hardware into the equation, especially once you involve hardware that you know, can have an, an impact on someone's physical safety, the disclosure gate debate gets at least a lot more heated, if not any more interesting. I mean, I, I think personally, the, the main thing I would like people to take away is like, hey, I like have this thing in my house, like I'm a hacker. I think the biggest thing I wanted to take away from, or I wanted people to take away from this is that vendors need to do independent security testing of their product before releasing it on the market. 
especially when the stakes get as high as as uh, people's physical safety. Okay, so what's next for you guys? Any new projects, new research? What, what can we expect from the two of you? I never want to hack an electric skateboard again. Yeah, I, uh, so I'm kind of sick of anything that looks even a little bit like radio research at the moment. Um, I would like to work on something that's kind of a little bit more obviously serious than uh, this, which we kind of had to like defend utility of a little bit. Yeah, I've got a, a couple things cooking too. I like to stay in the, the wireless Bluetooth embedded space, and I, uh, I like to do a little bit of low-level low reverse engineering as well. Cool. Um, Richo, um, how can uh, folks find you on the internet and, and learn more about your, your work and your research? Uh, I mean, so like my Twitter is probably the easiest place to find me, which is just Rich0H. In, in terms of like catching up on the research, uh, I, I tweeted the slides after DEF CON. Uh, the, the proof of concept code is up on my GitHub, which is just github.com slash richer. Uh, so, so if you want to have a look at the mechanics of like this specific attack, that's probably a great place to start. And so is that is that rich, R-I-C-H-O? Is that a zero or just an, an, an O? Uh, just an R. Okay. And Mike, how can folks get in touch with you and, and catch up on your, your research? Uh, the best place to find all my contact info is my website, bluetooth.expert. They have an extension dot expert they do they just have an extension for uh, you can anything can be an extension now i guess huh well as, as long as you're willing to pay something like a hundred grand to get your uh your tld registered yeah. holy crap all right well hey, hey thanks a lot richo i appreciate you uh calling in thank you mike for coming in studio it's it's great to meet you in person and uh i i hope to run into you guys in the future at defcon or, or, or are you going to be at defcon next year Every year I tell myself no, and every year I end up going. Okay, I'll see you at DEF CON next year. All right, thanks, Richo. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. No thanks for having us. So I look forward to next year's DEF CON, which will feature DARPA's Cyber Grand Challenge Finals. That should be interesting, seeing as a couple years ago, DEF CON were discouraging federal entities from attending the conference and participating and now here we have darpa coming to defcon 24 thank you so much for listening to this episode of the vince in the bay podcast check out my blog at vinceinthebay.com and hit me up on twitter at twitter.com slash vince in the bay and now one last recording from my DEFCON badge. This is the B-side of the record, and it's a well-known tune to many on the scene. It's dual core with the track All the Things. Until next time, remember, I love you. Not every geek with a Commodore 64 can hack into NASA. Drink all the booze.
Yeah, well, good luck, man. 